Welcome to episode 153 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, we're talking to Joanna Weeb, author of Copy Hackers, available from copyhackers.com. Hi, Joanna, and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So, Joanna, you made a huge splash on Hacker News about a week or two ago with your, the introduction of your uh, Copy Hackers ebooks and right. how that came about. Um, I guess the best way to get started is just ha- have you tell us a little story about, uh, about how it came to be. Sure, the post itself or the whole idea of copy hackers. Let's start from the beginning. Let's oh, man. Go back. Go back. <laughs> okay, cool. Sure. Yeah, it was kind of covered a little bit in the blog post, but it does. It goes way back to um, about a year ago, almost to the day tomorrow. It's a year ago to the date. Um, where I did some some work for this gentleman named Sharif Bashay. I don't I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. I've never actually spoken directly to him. <laughs> it's just been over work. email. We never we never pronounce anyone's name correctly. I pronounce everything wrong. So um, <laughs> um, but yeah. So I did a little work for him. He'd asked for some help from a copywriter on Hacker News, and um, I just said, yeah, just let me know. I'll just send it off to me or whatever. And um, he really needed just help with his homepage, and in particular with his value proposition, which is usually the headline on top of the um, homepage. So I gave him, I put together some recommendations um, and sent it back to him. And I guess he was really happy with it. He posted to uh, Hacker News about the work I'd done. And of course, I, you know, not charging for it, um, he really appreciate it, obviously, as a startup, you know, co-founder, bootstrapping. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so he wrote this great post on Hacker News. Uh, that was when I had just, um, Lance and Steve, who are my, um, Stephen, who are my partners in, like, the startup world, um, we had just launched page99test.com. And uh, and so suddenly all this traffic exploded on page99test.com. We had no idea what was going on. We hadn't seen the post on Hacker News um, uh, but Sharif had gone and posted this Hacker News and everybody was like, wow, there's like this pay it forward idea going on. And it was, you know, it was pretty cool to be kind of a part of that. And Sharif is so amazing for even like, like doing that where he took something that was just, you know, just between the two of us, um, and then posted it on, on Hacker News for everybody else to, you know, respond well to, it was just a really cool moment, right? To, sure. yeah, um, yeah, it's just what that community is all about. Right. So um, anyway, so with the post, everybody, there was a whole, my inbox is really flooded with requests for help. And of course, there's only so much time and so much you can do. And I was still working, working full time at um, Intuit and completing my master's and doing other things like that. So I was, I was you know, there's a lot on the go. Um, I couldn't help everybody. But, you know, some people said, well, why don't you just write an ebook then? And I was like, oh, a huge undertaking. But um, so I started, I helped out some startups. Um, you know, 10 or so, I don't know, over the course of the last year. And, um, well, and were these, were these yeah. the t- 10 startups that emailed you through that, that post? Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. That's me. That wasn't clear. Yeah, that's exactly right. So people who had emailed me and it wasn't all of them, there were others that I just, I just couldn't get around to, but those were like the first ones in the, in the queue. So I went with them. 
were you always helping them uh, for free at this stage or was there any point where you started kind of taking a little bit of money? You know, when you give something away for free, people tend to think, well, then there's not a lot of value in it. But this is a select group of people who really believed in the idea of copy, which is already like, you know, you flatter the person who does the work. <laughs> they want right. to do stuff for you. Um, but and they're, you know, they're bootstrapping, right? They're trying to get stuff done. They just want to get more signups. And they just want to sell their product. They weren't talking about, you know, can you write our e-newsletter for us or anything like that? It was just, can you help us take the copy that we already have and just make it work better? So that's, and that's, you know, you spend four hours here, four hours there. It's, it's not a lot of work. So, yeah. I'm interested to see or to know when you work with those guys, did any of them get back to you and say, okay, what you've just done has changed our conversions? Yeah, actually one of them, um, PickLife, picklife.com, P-I-C-L-Y-F. Um, they ran it as a test. They were the only ones, unfortunately, who ran it as a test. I wish, you know, in hindsight, you know, I could have said, well, let's make sure that we run these as tests, but oh well. Um <laughs> but they did, and they increased their conversion. And what was interesting about that one is um, we just worked on, it was just redoing the headline on their homepage. Um, and I recommended one that was like, that he didn't quite agree with. It was something like uh, seriously fun ways to capture your stories or something like that, right? We'd, we'd gone through, um, you know, an assessment of the existing stuff and his value and blah, 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 all that good stuff. Um, and we'd come up with that. And he was like, well, what's seriously fun that doesn't even make sense? And I was like, that's, actually not the point. If it makes sense, it sounds casual. It sounds like what people who would be using your service would say or be cool with hearing. Um, and yeah, so he reluctantly put it up as a test and it converted much higher than the original. So he made it the new control, which was cool. Well, that's what the good thing about that is that you've written an entire book about headlines and subheadlines. That's part of your copy hacker series. So that's, so that's something great for our listeners to know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that book covers off headline subheads and value propositions, which is, I think, I think of of the four books, that's the one that I would start with if I was just looking to optimize my existing website, because those are like clear, obvious things you can really quickly change and see big results from. Um, Yeah, those three points. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. so uh, you know, let's get into the you, you into more of the story. So you you help okay. these 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 ten startups, and yeah. how did that evolve into the writing of the ebooks? Yeah, so I was I had asked anybody I was going to um, do this work for. I'd said, you know, as long as you're okay with me using what we talk about as part of the ebooks, and so they were all cool with it. There was one group that was like, we'd rather not, and so I couldn't actually work with them. There's just too many other people who said that they could. I get it; it's cool. Um, but so we went, and uh, so I, yeah, I just used um, what I'd done with them. I used it kind of as small case studies throughout the books. Some of those case studies haven't actually made it into the four books because I actually have a whole bunch more that I've written that have not actually made their way into um, a single sure. book yet. But that's, that's, isn't that the art of great writing? Just editing and editing and editing and hacking away, right? So that's what that, you've done. That's exactly that's so true. It's so hard. But once you start doing it, yeah, um, it seems to work. So that's where that led to. Yeah. And then I produced those four books. Um, yeah. I just, well, they say that they say that writing is rewriting, right? Isn't that the, yes. The yeah. Thing? And that you should be cutting about 90% of what you originally wrote. So yeah, they say, if it sounds good to you, cut it because that's usually <laughs> your, that's usually your ego getting in the way there. So, um, oh, yeah. So how much did you have in the first, like, so, so you, you obviously had, so how big are, is the books? I mean, how many pages 
is the copy hacker's yeah. box. Well, originally I had written about 450 pages, um, and then I divided that. I realized, you know, that's really big for one book, um, and it was the plan, just one book. And um, so I divided it into three books uh, at 150 pages each. Um, but even still, like, it, it started to feel like, like startups don't need to learn copywriting A to Z. I really don't think they do. I think they need to learn key parts and a lot of, and what's great about working with startups is that um, you get your products, right? Like you get them and sometimes you just need a little push to tweak. It's not like working with a Fortune 500 marketing group where they maybe there's a lot of things that they you know might not understand about the product and the value of the product. So working with startups, they already know so much and all they have to do is pull a little bit out. So they don't need to learn everything that has to do with copyright and they just need to learn how to get certain things right. And so that's what this came down to is, yeah, breaking these big books up into really small sections that focus on the certain things that you need to work on. Like, okay, where do my messages actually come from? And, you know, how do I actually tell the difference between a feature and a benefit? And why does that matter? That kind of stuff, right? It doesn't, you don't need to learn everything. And our, you know, I sent it out to a few people, um, the, the 150 page book. And that's what a couple of them came back with and just said, like, I'd like to focus on certain things, not everything. And so great. Um, I adjusted, I took the 150 down to these four books that are no longer than 55 pages each. Um, yeah. I remember, um, Lance sent me a copy, uh, yeah. to, to review her, And I think just sent a copy to review. And yeah, I think, I can't remember if it was the 150 or 450 page version. And I was just like, wow. Um, I, can't, I don't know if I can actually read this much on the screen. I don't I want to blow my printer out, so yeah. I'll do my best. And I, I don't know if I was one of the – if my feedback came in and I was the only one who said it, but I guess it wasn't long after you decided to, to break it up. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yours was one of the key ones. Yeah, because it's, it's so true, right? I don't want to produce print copies. I just – there's a lot of reasons that I don't want to do that. Cost is obviously a big one when you have, you know – color throughout. Um, and, but also, you know, we're in an ebook kind of world, you know, I would like to be able to push more towards that, but I get that people want to print their stuff off sometimes too. So if you have a 55 page book, it doesn't feel quite as bad as printing off something Mondo, right? Like, oh, yeah, it's like, I got to run to Staples just to get enough paper print out. <laughs> yeah, that's not cool. So yeah, but no, I definitely took your feedback. That was, that was key to this. Well, that was, yeah, it was funny when Lance said that, uh, that he, and he mentioned that uh, my feedback was one of the reasons. I was like, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just got to sit it offhand. I didn't mean to like change the direction. But no. uh, yeah, it, it, you know, 55 pages, you print front and back, you know, it's, it's not that big a deal. Or, you know, and um, I think that's, I, I, I think it's much better having multiple books. It's kind of digestible because a lot of times you buy a book and it's just, it's just this ginormous thing and it's so intimidating that you have a hard time getting through it or you get like through the first three or four paragraph, three or four chapters and you kind of just lose, lose momentum. Yes. But if you have four or five, you, I mean, I guess you could even extend this. You could end up having more than four books, but you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm halfway through this first book, but it's only 10 or 50 more pages. I'm just going to knock it out and have a stopping point and come back. It just seems much more digestible. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. Just, you know, something a bit, you know, bite-sized or whatever, rather than this huge meal you have to undertake. Like, oof, it's overwhelming, right, to look at something that's 150 pages. And especially if you're not trying to be a professional copywriter, you're just trying to write your one website. You don't, you just, I don't think that you need that many pages. And a lot of courses, of course, are built that way where you have, 
you know, sections rather than this huge, and even if chapters we could think of as sections, it's still not quite yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the other thing is that um, st startups, uh, startup founders, or, or you know, you're, or even if you're, it's multiple founders, they're, they're they're basically generalists at this point, right? They're trying to do a lot of different things. Yeah. In copywriting, you know, I, I guess it's another one of those eighty twenty rules, right? You give them eighty percent of what they need, twenty percent of the time and effort, and and that'll be good enough for now, because they got fifteen other things they got to be worrying about as well. Totally, exactly, right? Like you're writing copy for your website at, you know, four in the morning, um, you know, and not, that's, that's normal. That's okay. That's like what you have to do. And it's amazing that these, that everybody is focusing on writing their copy. If it does take, you know, if you do have to do it at four in the morning, you still have to get it done. You are a generalist, right? You're trying to market and do social media, all of this kind of stuff. And copywriting is one of those things. And I, I happen to believe, and if, you know, you know, you see results and you think that copywriting is actually a pretty major part of that. And it can extend across all the marketing you do, obviously. Um, but yeah, you're trying to do a lot. So you don't want to become you know, the next expert in copywriting, unless you read it and you're like, I love copywriting. And now you want to become a copywriter. Right, right, right. Joanna, in, in your four books, the first book um, you just mentioned there is called Where Stellar Messages Come From. And that's an incredibly interesting title. I mean, where on earth do stellar messages come from? If you could bring <laughs> that to us in a, for us in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. So, and it is, it's, it's a lot of chapters for a reason, right? Um, but, but, um, so that's that's often the big thing. Like, where do you start with your copywriting, right? And a lot of where people, especially startups, tend to start, but not just startups. You know, I, I think a lot of people do this. Um, is they start with what's in their head, um, which is good. It's it's fine. But that's that's really where your product positioning document should start, where you document everything you know. So that's like that's where I would start with uh, looking for a stellar message, not actually crafting it yet, but looking for it is documenting everything you know, you know, take two hours to write down everything you know about your product without wordsmithing it, just throw it all down on the page. Um, and then we can start to organize that information. But, but that's where I think, and I don't know, maybe I'd love to hear where you guys start when you're thinking of messaging, but that's where people tend to. Um, and the question is, is that the right place to start? Um, and I think it's the right place for one part of the exercise, but the, the biggest part is obviously where your customers want you to start. And I, I know that sounds like cheesy, like, oh, of course you're going to say that, but is that really, you know, how people actually do it? But if, if you're going to do your messages right, your message is never your message. It's always going to be the message that your customer absolutely needs to see and then secondly wants to see. You're saying where stellar messages come from. So that sounds like these messages are awesome and they're going to help me sell things. So how do you take how do you take a brain dump essentially and turn it into something that's actually going to be a stellar message? Yeah, then all I mean, copyright it, this when you do the messaging book one, um, it, you should plan to put aside some time um, to actually spend on it. Not a lot of time. I don't want it to sound like it's super difficult, but it is. This is how you're going to sell your product with your copy. This is, frankly, this is it. This is the foundation of it. People buy based on words and how those words make them feel. So to get it to a stellar point will take a little bit of time, but time well spent. Um, in organizing the information, I talk in book one about a product positioning document, um, which doesn't sound very sexy, <laughs> admittedly, <laughs> but that's where, that's where you start organizing the information, divided into um, a handful of columns, which, you know, the book actually gives you a worksheet. You may print it off, you may not. It's not a very difficult to create worksheet. It's just five columns um, in which you talk about your 
features, your benefits, um, and how those rank next to competitors, um, and as well as how those rank in interest for for your market, um, your specific market segment. And of course, getting to a stellar point is also about not just crafting um, messages in general, like here's a headline, but it's really thinking thinking intelligently um, about who's going to be reading that message and who are the people who are actually most likely to convert on your site. I mean, the best copywriters say that to get the right message, you shouldn't be writing for 100% of your audience. Um, you should be writing for the most likely to convert large segments. So and I, that really works out to about 20 to 35% of your visitors. So find out who's coming to your site um, or who your most likely customer is. Don't resist that. Work with that. Those that's how you actually sell the product is figuring out who those people are and writing messages that are really targeted to them. And if that sells to those people, then already your conversion rate, you know, we see a lot of 2% conversion rates because you try to write to 100% of your audience. And it's so blah, it's so bland and neutral that nobody, the people who could absolutely adore your product aren't getting the message that you just need to tweak um, to speak specifically to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, what's what's the difference between this is going to sound like a really stupid question and Jason's going to say that's a stupid question. But what is the difference between like could you give us like a, a an actual example of the difference between bland <laughs> and like something that's really specific to I'm not to, even going to say anything, Justin. I think it's, <laughs> it speaks for itself. I think your question speaks for itself. <laughs> I think it's a good question. <laughs> like, like I'm just trying to work out what you mean by really specific. Like do you do you mean hey you Jonathan with the with the red cap and blue jeans. <laughs> Maybe. Holy, imagine if you were Jonathan, you'd be like, this is for me. Um, no, but but I do mean, I mean, I mean, so I, of course, come from a big, you know, writing in a big corporation type of background. Um, and that's where you see a lot of these, unfortunately, nothing against the people there, but but there, you know, when you have shareholders, you get a little bit scared, I think. Um, and you write bland or blah messages like save time, save money. Um, not very, who, who gives a crap, right? Like everybody can say that. Everybody can say that. Um, and those are the kind of things where you're like, well, I know that people like saving time or I know that people like saving money. But okay, great. But what does a single mom, let's say if you know that your audience, if you're, you know, putting together some sort of service where you know your audience, if you maybe not, you're not admitting that you know this, but you do know that your audience is single moms. They drive minivans. They've got five kids, you know, running around downstairs because they have to take in two kids for daycare or whatever. You, if you can figure out what those specific people want um, to hear, getting a targeted message where save time doesn't resonate with that mom. She, yes, she wants to save time and yes, she wants to save money. But if you can get to a more specific something that actually, uses- for example, in, in ah! this, if I'm following through in that case with the with the whole moment analogy, uh, well, I, and that's where it's a matter of figuring out what those words are that she wants, and that's where you know in the book it's about doing some keyword research too, right? So save time and save money becomes. Um, spend, you know, and now you're putting me on the spot. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's challenging there. But right, it's like, you know, spend more time baking cookies with your kids. That sounds really lame and cheesy, but that's getting more to the point, right, where if, or even getting specific with, save an extra two hours a week that you can spend, you know, 
looking ba- baking up cookies recipes, with your kids, right? Right, whatever, okay. right? But the point is that you're not just saying something generic, and you should be saying it also in the language that they want to hear. So with you know the sort of tone that that mom wants to hear, where the the words are you know short, small, quick. Um, and not too clever. Just because- so, it, so, for example, it shouldn't be in the Queen's English. One, one should save some time when one <laughs> bakes some cookies. Unless you've got like a big crown at the top of your site, which can <laughs> right. be really cool. Right? <laughs> well, it, it sounds to me also like if if you can, like what you're like what you're getting specific is almost a way of making a something visual. That's something that they can picture in their mind. Right. So you can picture yourself making cookies with your kid. But saving time, I mean, what does that mean? It's just sort of this abstract concept. And when they picture something, um, especially if it's positive, it makes them feel good. Yeah, exactly. And that's another, you know, great trick that um, copywriters use is getting you to imagine yourself, one, using the product and, um, and two, comparing it to something that you already, you know, know and can relate to. Like you say, when something, we can't, we can't determine what save time is that actually it's, it's not tangible, but the more tangible you can make it save six hours every week is obviously a lot better than save time immediately. It's a better message. It still might not be exactly where you need to go, but we're, we're moving towards the stellar message. We're not going to be able to necessarily start at that. It's a matter of refining it, but yeah, getting specific is super key to, to writing compelling copy. Doesn't that depend on what the product is? I mean, what happens if you have a product that's something like, I don't know, Microsoft Word or Microsoft Windows that's just kind of a boil the ocean for everyone kind of product? Yeah, they're harder to sell, right? Like, thankfully for them, for in that case, everybody already knows that it's ubiquitous, right? So right. it's like selling anything that people already understand. Um, to differentiate yourself, to sell something against Microsoft, if you came up with the new one, that's where your value proposition comes in. You have to figure out what is unique about your solution. And that unique thing has to be highly desirable if you want it to sell well. If you want to pull people away from another solution, if you want people to take out their credit cards, um, it has to be unique and highly desirable. And then comes making sure that your message is succinct and memorable too. But but that's really key when you're talking about writing a message um, like, you know, Microsoft Word can't really do that, right? There's nothing necessarily unique outside of being like the original, I guess, or the most used solution out there. Uh, but that's not unique. That's not anything great about the, the product itself. And that's where startups, you know, are in a better position to write because they can target in on something unique because they're usually building some, you know, more niche product or, or something that's disruptive and what's disruptive about it is something that would be either unique or highly desirable. I'm just thinking about App Ignite because like what, like App Ignite, which is a, a, a generally generalist product. I'm just wondering what one might do with something like that. Well, you know what, Justin, we were going to, I think we should leave the uh, case study, the case stuff um, later. I mean, when we sure. get into Anyfoo and Plugio and stuff. Um, I, I, one thing I wanted to um, get into with uh, Joanna was the nine key components of copywriting that every startup should know. Um, right. Because each one of those is really uh, uh, an important thing to think about. And I thought if we went through those, um, it might give our listeners a sense of what they need to be focusing on and also what they can learn from Joanna. I thought that might be a good good structure. Yeah, what are, you, sounds, are you okay with that? Yeah, sounds like a great idea. Okay, so Joanna, I'm going to let you take it away for sure. So the first one you, you have listed is think, of the nine key components is think differently. That's right. Um, 
Yeah, and we've talked a bit about these already, um, but not this one um, necessarily. So think differently is copywriting, for one, people may not know what it even means, but, uh, you know, I've, I actually got a couple comments on my blog post about, you know, why why do you say copy? What is that? Why don't you just say text? And I'm sorry, it, it is what it's so copywriting right. is the words on the page, right? Um, so point number one, copywriting is at minimum words on the page. But now we have to think a little differently. Now that we know exactly what it is, that's what it is. Um, it's a matter of not treating them just like words on a page. That's no good. Those are just symbols on a white background. Not so good. Um, to think differently, take I really boil it down to two things that are part of thinking differently about writing copy. And that is that you have to, you have to sell with your copy. And selling doesn't necessarily mean taking someone's credit card, although that's obviously a great thing. It could mean getting people to sign up, getting people just to do what you want them to do. But you have to sell them on that. Um, and it's important not to underestimate the importance of of thinking differently in selling with your copy. And then the second part of that is um, that you should only ever, only be talking about exactly what your customers, your visitors, or potential customers need to hear and want to hear. So a lot of the time we think, oh, well, you know, on, I'm going to make the headline just explain exactly what this product is. And it comes off sounding really great, right? Like you can put a nice clear statement on your homepage that says, solution is. You definitely shouldn't write a word until you're, you know, mentally ready to sell, um, get your head around that. So um, that's important. And until you're actually armed with what you need to know about your customers and potential customers. Yeah. Right, right. And the, your second point is of the nine key components, I guess the second component is write for a segment of likely buyers. So yeah, I guess there's a difference right there is you're not just saying for a segment of customers, it's just who, who, who's most likely to buy versus. I guess just, I guess just to say, there's there's a whole bunch of users, but a lot of the users aren't necessarily going to convert to buyers anyway, right? That's right. Yeah. So it's and that's where it's important to know what what your traffic's like, like who's actually coming to your site. Um, but when you're first writing your site, it's hard to know that, right? When you haven't even launched your product, obviously it's hard to know. So, um, but you can still determine with some research, right? So if you know, so. Um, an example here is there's actually a, a site, a social, I forget what it's called. It's a social network for university students, and it's obviously not the original Facebook, but it's um, uh, something else, but it's made just for on-campuses. And it says, oh, no, it wasn't, sorry, it wasn't the social network for it. It was um, a deal of the day site for them. And okay. the actual service is all about um, just deal of the day on campus. And at no point do they mention that it you know on their homepage that this is a deal of the day site on campuses not that that's the statement that's not a statement and it's definitely not specific to any one group of those university students like first years who might be more likely to look for that or PhD students who have zero dollars to spend and they're super busy right so there's big opportunities obviously to narrow down um, when you start that broad you could like going so broad and saying everything we can understand that that's probably not a good thing. I think we can all get our heads around just common sense, saying that you're everything or failing to say exactly what's specific about you um, isn't going to help anybody understand why they should work with you. Um, but getting more narrow, getting it down to that small segment of people, which you know we kind of spoke about earlier, the 20 to 35% can really help you target your message, which makes a more compelling 
message, and this is obviously always going to be about trying to convert people, um, it will make a message that converts at a better rate. Um, and I haven't ever seen a test where a more specific targeted message didn't work better, as long as it was targeted to the right group. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the second point. Okay, and the third then is um, know and communicate the benefits of your product and features. A lot of times you hear people just talk about, I mean, it's the rule of advice is don't focus on features, focus on benefits, but you're saying benefits and features. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes features do speak for themselves, um, but putting them in combination is is pretty much the secret sauce. So you the idea, you hear a lot, oh, lead with your benefit, always lead with your benefit. And I've had, you know, bosses say, great, revise this so it talks about the benefit first. Um a lot of times we see benefits online like save time, um, hopefully a better one than that, like a more specific one, but we see that as a benefit. Um, but we don't see really proof um, about how I'm going to save more time. And that's where the feature that helps you save time or the part of your product that will help you save that time needs to be paired up with the benefit. It acts as like proof, right? Like you can say you have that benefit for me, but really how do I get to that? Um, and so that's where knowing your features and benefits, it's first knowing them, documenting them, understanding what's most important, uh, you know, in that list of features and benefits for your customers, not for yourself, for your customers. Um, that's, that's critical for beginning to write your copy. Yeah, it's features and benefits. Do you, do you have any good examples of that from some of the startups that you work with? Um, yeah, I actually, and there was something on Hacker News the other day about this too, a great new, um, well, there's, okay, I'll just go down to a specific example, because <laughs> those are good. Um, yeah. up, up, so I think I sent this to you, upup.com, um, they do website monitoring, and it said, their headline is, website monitoring has never been this easy, um, and that is a benefit, that's great, um, it says what it is. It's, it's a good, it sounds like a good headline, right? Website monitoring, understand what they do. It's never been this easy. Okay, so it's easy. It's going to solve a pain that has to do with monitoring being difficult. Cool. But, but without really saying how that happens, without saying what the feature is or what's specific to the product that makes that happen, it isn't as impactful as it could be if, and I wish I could fill in that blank. I wish I could write a subhead, but nowhere on the page did I see exactly how that happens, um, what it is in their solution that makes this easier than it's ever been before. Um, so that's an example that I would give of what, you know, where there's, where there's a gap, a, a clear, quick fix, right? Where you've already got Good meat. You just have to finish fleshing it all out for people to understand. How can you fit that into a headline, though? Because it's, it's beginning to sound like a sentence if you say any more than that. You're, yeah, and I, that's where you do it in a subhead. A subhead is really a mini headline. Um, so you don't, it's a matter of, and when you're writing copy, and this is in the, the ebooks, of course, um, always a matter of grouping messages together that need to be grouped together. So it doesn't have to be stated in the exact same um, text in the exact same line, but it needs to be grouped nearby. So that's where if, if you want to have a big headline, that's just your benefit. Your benefit is that, you know, you can eliminate credit card fees overnight. Great. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Now tell me how, because I don't really, I, it sounds good. Um, I want it, 
but now I need to believe that you can actually do that for me. And it's a super quick fix just to put a subhead below that headline that says, this is the feature that does that. Obviously, you don't say this is the feature, but I wish I knew what that feature was. And then you fit that into the subhead. So-and-so makes this possible by doing X. Um, and if it's not in a subhead, it could be, you know, in a call-out box or, you know, an ugly starburst, hopefully made pretty, off to the side that explains um, that benefit. So it's a matter of grouping important messages together so people can actually believe it. Um, otherwise, if it sounds great, which a lot of, and a lot of startups are coming up with really great solutions, um, and all they have to do is then tie together the feature that um, leads to that benefit. And then the flip side is if you have a great feature or your product is, you know, one big feature that like plugs into something else, you just, you need to say what the benefit is of that. Not just that X does Y, but um, why that's important. Right. Okay. Um, you already, Justin, do you have any question about that or can I ask her about No, no I was going to, I was going to go for the next um, benefit. The next, All right. Be the my next, guest. Component. So the next key component. So the next key component that you've uh, sent to us is share your value proposition on the homepage and key landing pages. Right. And I certainly know about this uh, through Plugio, my website, and I've never got it right in two years. <laughs> um, so, so it'd be great to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, the value proposition um, or unique sales proposition, there's other things that people call it, but it really comes down to value proposition. Um, are you guys familiar with marketing experiments, the group? Oh, you mean like you were talking about like A/B testing, that yes. kind of stuff? Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah. In fact, well, we had um, Lance. And, no, I'm not sure if I got this right. Lance yeah. and you were married, or essentially living essentially. in sin. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. All right, right. So we had Lance on back. Um, uh, Lance Jones on. I don't know how, what episode it was. It was probably uh, yeah. 50 episodes ago. And he, Lance is a big expert on A/B testing and optimization. So for our, any of our listeners who are interested in that kind of stuff, just look up Lance Jones texting, and you'll you'll come to it. So yeah, he talked to us. Uh, he talked us through all the different things you have to think about and all the different tools. So um, you know, I th- I don't I wouldn't say we're experts in it, but we're definitely familiar with it. Okay, great. But, yeah. And- for any of our listeners who aren't. Feel free to give the uh, the, sh- the short intro to it. Sure. Well, I was actually going to talk about marketing experiments, like the group, um, like the actual company called Marketing Experiments. But but it is it's absolutely entirely related to what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Web testing. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I kind of thought you meant that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so that's why I was like, no, I don't know. And then Jason was like, yeah, we know all about that. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I should have said marketing experiments, the company. But of course, what they do is exactly what you're saying. They do web testing, and they've come up with this formula, uh, the conversion, you know, heuristic or whatever, um, where it's uh, one of the key components to converting um, that they found through testing and all sorts of experimentation is um, is your value proposition. So under there's there's several parts to it, but value proposition and something else called motivation. Um, those are the two really the biggest things that you can address to quickly impact your conversion. Um, value proposition, getting that one statement right is absolutely the difference between a high converting site and a not high converting site. Um, no, but what is a value proposition really? Um, it sounds like, you know, kind of a bit of a buzzword too, but, but it really is a simple statement that you put on your homepage, usually as a headline, something at the top, ideally, um, that says what we've, we've kind of already discussed this before, earlier in the call or in the story in the show. Um, it has to have 
four things that are true about it. Uh, proper value proposition has to have has to discuss that something about your product that is unique, something that is unique plus highly desirable, um, and then it has to be made succinct and memorable. Um, so those are really the yeah the key components to it. Um, and we talked about pick life having the seriously fun ways to share your. Uh, your stories. And that was the beginning of a of what could be a great value prop. Um, things about it that are you know a bit wishy washy are you know memorable. Like how do you know if something that you've just written is memorable? And essentially, the way to know that is to test it up front and then see if it resonates with people down the line. Um, right to test it again later or to see you know if it just how do you find something sticky? Usually proves itself. By converting more people, um, but those are those are critical to a value proposition. Some of the big ones throughout time, M um, and M's. Obviously, the milk chocolate melts in your mouth, not in your hands. That's like the original value proposition. And what's so we can say that at the time it was absolutely unique. No other candy or chocolate was doing this. Um, it was highly desirable. It was actually during I think it was during the war when. Um, men, they were shipping, you know, chocolate as part of like their little kit or whatever it is, um, you know, for sugar, uh, just a sugar rush. I don't know. I don't work with this, whatever. (laughs) I don't know why you'd get chocolate, but evidently they sent this out to them. Um, and it was melting. Helped you aim your gun better. (laughs) That's right. A good sugar rush will do that. Um, but it was highly desirable because it was melting a lot. So this was a new way to prove, you know, this, your chocolate isn't going to melt, um, and obviously that was good for the soldiers, but it's also good for you back home kids who, you know, ob- we all know why it's good not to have chocolate melt in our hands. Uh, <laughs> it was succinct and it was also memorable. And we can tell that it's memorable because it's lasted all these years um, and it continues to make sense and stand out as a strong value prop. Well, it's also visual. I mean, you can sort of picture yeah. it. Yes. You can, picture yeah. the, the, you can picture it melting in your hands. You're like, oh, man. You know, I know like, exactly. You're absolutely right, and yeah, you've talked a couple times about the visual thing. I th- you're like, that's cool. I like that. You're. Is that how I, you write? Do you think of that when you're writing? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I uh, sort of. Um, one of the things a meme that I kind of I created, and I guess it's caught a little traction, is the Lux surface area, and and the reason I think it works. It's, it's kind of caught on is because it's visual. You sort of can picture it. It's not just yeah. some abstract concept. I mean, it is an abstract concept, but there is sort of this uh, this thing you can picture in your head. You think of like a solar array or something, you know, it's catching yeah. luck or something. But the other thing is like the stuff that I've written that's worked really well are stories. And people remember stories better than just sort of, well, you should do this or you should do that. And this is stupid. And this is the smart way to do things. I mean, you read that stuff all the time and it just gets really just forget it's just it's, it's it's not that interesting but it's just it's just not memorable but yeah. stories when someone's telling you a story you're picturing the story you're kind of um and that's also the the trick that they talk about you know like um how to how to mem- remember stuff they'll say you know you're trying to remember people's names it's like you picture you you, you just come up with some crazy story and some visual picture in your brain about it, and I, I know there's a. We could, I don't want to go too on about too far on about it, but there are tricks uh, um, that have to do with like you know putting people or putting stuff in, in positions in your mind that gives you a visual picture, and then you can remember because that's how our mind works, I guess. Totally, yeah, I agree, and that's like how a lot of I understand like busy waitresses and waiters, servers, whatever. 
how they remember orders is like they compare it to they do they look at you and like they if you have you know a goatee and you order goat cheese <laughs> I don't know. Uh-huh, but right. that, kind of, that kind of silly thing right huh. um, but the same thing right is is building it it's a visual that's how we remember things definitely in a visual sort of way and that's where you know what none of these books absolutely cover long form sales copywriting which is you know it's the most high converting copywriting out there they take elements of high converting um copywriting which is this long form sales letter um and and interspersed and throughout all the books but the point is that long form sales letters tend to work because they generally write in a story sort of fashion they start out with something anecdotal or um or they lead you through a story um, and that's how you actually bring people through the page um, down to the bottom where you get them to convert. Yeah, if there's one thing I'm going to remember about this interview 10 years from now, it's going to be about the uh, the guy in the goatee ordering goat cheese. <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> I only say that because I have... <laughs> that's what I'll remember 10 years from now. Like, yeah, <laughs> about that stuff and copywriting. Like, yeah, I'm talking about go- the goatee. I don't know. Goat okay, cheese. so <laughs> I'll just move us on here. So the next point... Um, is number one, two, three, four, five, six, which is to spend 90% of your copywriting time on the headline. Yeah, and it's just as simple as that, right? Um, the headline is is the first thing that the person will see, that any of your visitors will see on a page, unless there's some crazy other, who knows, like there's always going to be some edge case, right, where you've done something insane that people absolutely notice first, but but unless you're writing that page where you have something insane going on or where they won't look at your headline, um, it's going to be the headline they notice first. And most people, I think it's a 80%, you know, it's the 80-20 rule always. Those are always coming up. Um, but 80% of people will um, not make it further than your headline. Uh, so you've got that much time, right? You can you win them over with your headline. Um, and that's why you need to. And this is the big copywriters throughout you know, the history of copywriting, which does go back, you know, to the 1920s-ish, um, even beyond, even earlier, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but you should spend that 90% of your time on the headline. They've been saying it forever. Um, some people will take, you know, some of the greatest direct mail copywriters um, would spend a week turning over a headline. And then at the end of it, once you get to a great part, a great part, a great point, sorry, um, it converts great. Like when I think of, you know, how much time we should be putting into a hacker news headline post, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Headline and how much difference it can make to put some effort in there versus like maybe not thinking so much about, about that post. I know for this one that we just did recently, this one that was last week, uh, that's that kicked off the copy hackers launch. Um, I had one headline that I thought was, you know, pretty decent um, and then Lance came along and he was like, no, it's not good enough, right? So it's, again, it's good to have a sounding board too. Um, hopefully they're not too mean to you about it. Uh, but, <laughs> but, well, but he, I can't imagine Lance is going to be too mean to you. He, he'd pay a price for that. He's, so he's a mean right. SOB. <laughs> no, <Right>. but uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but it's a matter of getting, if you can get a headline like that, right. How much time you spend on that, spend that amount of time on, Every headline you write on your page, you know, you see a lot of, like, on the plans and pricing page that you go to on the average startup website. Uh, what's the headline? Plans and pricing. Who gives? Right. I already know that I'm there. You shouldn't use headlines just as navigation. 
Um, otherwise, they're not really doing the work that they can do and that they should be doing. Plans and pricing, those are essentially wasted words. I know where I am. Um, you can repeat it in other ways, or you can see just by looking at the catalog right in front of you, the four columns that we always see on these sites, um, you can right. see that you're on plans well, and pricing. One, one, thing, one thing caveat that I'd like to add there is that within the page copy and the visuals that you're looking at, I completely agree with you. But when it comes to the actual HTML title, it does make sense to put what it really is so that in the search engines, it comes up that way. Sure. And, you know, I, the, the, I think that's one part. So do you mean like on the actual SERP, like when you see like... I, I mean, in the actual H, HTML code in the title tag. So mm -hmm. if, if, if you didn't put plans and pricing page, so for example, if it, if it didn't say Plugio plans and pricing in that HTML title tag, then when you search for Google and then that came up, when people search for Plugio plans and pricing, it may say something completely different, such as, you know, really great, great plans. Yeah, if, they were, like if you know people are searching for Plugio plans and pricing, are they? Like, that's how many people are searching Plugio plans and pricing versus a solution that you're, like, the actual, that's where you probably want to put a benefit, right? Or Okay, so you're thinking even in... Even in titles, benefits it, like if, if a search engine results in the in the title tags, it's still good to to use this kind of strategy. I can I can well, get that. Yeah, well, you want. I mean, you're always looking to get clicked, get noticed, and get clicked, right? And so, I mean, we could get into a whole world of discussion around SEO copywriting, which definitely isn't covered in these books. I have that all off to the side in another book um, that I I'm just not ready to go. So. Um, but, but the idea of titling something that way just so that it can – are you saying so that it could be found better or so that no, people I'm, land I'm, on I'm it just, on this group? I'm just saying if it doesn't actually say what it is, then you're, you're in I'm, – I'm guessing that you're in danger of people not really noticing it in the search engine because it's, it may be some tangential funky message that you put rather than saying what it is because if it comes up in the search engine that way. Anyway, maybe it's not a great discussion. Sorry. No, I think it's a fantastic <laughs> discussion. I think it's the most important thing because I think you're absolutely right that a lot of people, I think it's a very worthwhile discussion because certainly people are thinking of it that way too, right? And it shouldn't, it shouldn't not address the idea of plans and pricing. But when we look at something, like you can look at you know, any of the 37 Signals products and go to their plans and pricing page. What's the headline? It's always going to be more about um, the benefit or what you actually get out of it. If it's, you know, sign up in one minute um, to get instant access or whatever. Um, I I don't know if I'm allowed to bring up Firefox now, but um, that's I would encourage anybody to go look at any of the 37 Signals products, go to those plans and pricing pages, see the headlines there, the headline and the subhead every time. It's never going to say plans and pricing. Right. That's okay, interesting. So, so, so that's interesting. It, it, it does. This is what I'm talking about. So if you go to 37 signals in the actual title tag, it says see plans, pricing and free trial. So that's what's going to come up in Google. Right. right? I'm in but on the, in the page copy, it says something completely different, which is what you're talking about. And that was exactly. the point I was trying to make. Oh, OK, great, great, great. And we're all on yes. the same page. <laughs> yes, Justin, you're not even talking about copywriting. You know? you're like, no, well, I'm, I'm just yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm just saying that when you come up with your title it doesn't necessarily need to, need to be the same as what's in the title tag and yes i am talking about seo yes okay anyway i'll shut up you want to talk Keep about seo some more justin or no no no, no go on go on move, move, move on move on <laughs> or do you want to talk about scaling databases what, it was what? just a quick little caveat it was just a quick caveat what's wrong I with i loved that? it i thought it was great <laughs> okay. um 
All right. Um, so the uh, the next one we have on our list is format your copy to be scanned. Um, does that mean that uh, you want to keep you want to keep it as short as possible, or um, are you, is, is, or is something beyond that? Yeah, I think th- there's. I think when we think about writing for the web, a lot of times we go. A lot of time we go straight to formatting. Um, like when you talk about being scannable, um, we say, okay, we'll make sure there's bullets and bolding and uh, you know different. Like you just said, make it as short as possible. Um, so making it as short as possible, I think, is a good idea. Um, but in practice, that's usually where we come back to seeing a very short, po- a short message is save time. Great. Short, right. done. Two words. Amazing. But no, but making it as short as possible while still being interesting enough to get noticed um, and making sure that you're addressing what your customer needs to hear. So a lot of the most compelling messages are not going to be two or three words. They're going to be, you know, nice 12 words. You know, you can get a headline down to seven words and still have it be, you know, still tick the box of being short enough to be scanned. Um, but once they're looking at that thing, once you've got their attention on that, um, it has to, of course, satisfy some sort of need that they have, right? It has to address a pain or overcome an anxiety or an objection. It has to talk about a benefit. It has to do something more than just be short. But that's the thing in formatting um, is to make sure that you break things up so that they are more readable, which could mean if you have like this honking huge headline, like it's 12 words or something, you probably don't want it to be in small font and like to scan, to, to go across the the whole top of your page. A single line isn't easy to read across a page versus we believe it's actually easier to read one long line, but users uh, respond poorly to one long line of text and they'd rather see it shortened to like more of a column, right? So make your headline span two thirds of the width of the page and the other, what's left over just goes below as, you know, the one third over. So make it wrap, right? Without going the full length of the page, that's a formatting trick. Um, and that's that kind of plays along with the idea of making it short. Short doesn't have to mean your whole message is shoved into a small space. It can just mean that you have to, you know, use more line breaks to break it up so it feels short. Um, I see. That, yeah, because yeah. a lot of times what uh, you hear, like in blog posts, I've had a couple people um, suggest this to me, um, which is break it up into like have like a bold. Uh, like a subheading or or, 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 or like a, a section heading, I guess you'd call it. Um, so if you have something that's like five paragraphs or six paragraphs, the first one would be like an intro. And then each one of those paragraphs, you might have like a little bold headline so that people can kind of get a sense of what that section is going to be about. They can kind of scan through it. Is that the kind yeah. of stuff you mean? That's Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I don't usually talk about blog posts, but along the same lines, absolutely. Having a headline, which we usually call a subhead, to go over top of each of those paragraphs of text that you'll have um, is great. And the idea of paragraphs alone is is kind of, I would avoid paragraphs. Even in blog posts, I find like, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, um, but the more I tend to read through blog posts that have single sentences acting as paragraphs, so big breaks between each sentence, they just feel a lot easier and faster to read um, when you approach them, so that's kind of a, a tip. Um, if you go to a lot of like copy blogger, if you go to to read what he has to say, it's usually, I mean, his blog posts generally most sentences, most paragraphs are just comprised of one sentence alone. So that's kind of a trick for getting people to read your stuff and not feel like they're doing any work. Um, a paragraph is just a lot of text 
right? Um, we don't like to do work visually, and that feels like visual right. work. But, but yeah, so there's that. And then, of course, starting it off with a headline um, over each new thought that you have or new section that you have. Um, and that headline should be not just like a necessarily a summary of what's going to follow or a word like introduction or conclusion, right. um, but like, but the meat, right? So I could read only those headlines and still walk away feeling like I got something out of the page or like I understand it. Yeah. It's kind of like the TLDR, right? So like you, you too long didn't read, you know, you, <laughs> the, it's sort of <laughs> strewn throughout the, uh, the post. Just read the headlines and, you, and, you know, you got the essence, you're done. Yeah, yeah, and that's how I think uh, law students learn to read things. I, I don't know if this matters at all, but I think it's kind of curious that you know to get through. If you if you have to read a lot of stuff in a day, you should always just start by reading the first line or the headline in it, and then go back through it again afterwards. And that actually helps with like comprehension or whatever. So right. yeah, that's how we learn to read. Okay, so our next is overcome anxieties and objections to get your buttons clicked. Yes. Um, okay. Yes. So, so there's a lot so, of anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety. Um, I just want to say, by the way, that is a great title for a blog post that could uh, get to number one on Hacker News. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> okay, cool. I'll go write it right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, except, I'll, except, Justin, there's an and in the sentence, and you would you're saying it has to be an ampersand. It has to be an ampersand. Yep. Justin's uh, new Justin's Justin's new theory based on something. That's not my theory. That's from reading Joanna's book. I mean, it's something I've always done instinctively, but Joanna agrees. Yeah, Justin totally Justin agree. takes it to a fault. He's an and everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> he does, he, he, like you cannot use an and. You use an ampersand. <laughs> that's so funny, but I do. I strongly believe in the ampersand um, because it helps dollar signs, ampersands. Like I always replace the word money with dollar signs because we look for symbols so uh, versus like more words to read we have so many words to read being able to cut some of those out it draws your eye i love the ampersand totally well, agree. you have to be careful what you suggest to justin because he will take you well because <laughs> because you see he, jason thinks at me for the next three years well no no Joanna said, you can't use an and. I mean, I'm looking at the top of her site. It says, join thousands and get copy hacker updates for free. And it's the word and, not an ampersand. Yeah, and that's choice, right? Um, Yeah, it's usually, and it's a matter of standing back and looking at the page. And if it looks like, you know, because an ampersand is a little cluttered little ball of a symbol, right? It's just really tight and just there's a lot going on in it for one little small symbol, um, which can be good if you have a bunch of, like, big words uh, or longer words, right, that have like seven letters in each or whatever. There's no, this isn't a rule. This is more of like an, you know, an art or feeling about it. Um, And in lists, right, in lists with like three things, I always use an ampersand before the third thing rather than an and because you've seen so many words um, and it helps to group things together. But yeah, there's no hard and fast rule. A lot of it will be like when you stand back and look at it. It's a judgment. It's a judgment. So in the the list you sent to us of your nine key components, you didn't use any ampersands. You just used the word and. Yeah, I'm crazy that way. (laughs) See, Justin, Justin, I'm going to have to hear this from Justin for the next three years. He's going to write ampersand everywhere, and he's going to use you as his evidence. And I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. Anyway, okay, so good. Anyway, so overcoming anxiety. Let's get back to overcoming anxieties and objections. uh, Yeah. to To get your buttons clicked. Right. To get your buttons clicked. Uh, yeah, buttons. so um, obviously people, that's where people do the converting is around the button. Um, so that's 
that's where, you know, a lot of times you see a button that's just kind of by itself or it's like it says add to cart. And I actually have just add to cart buttons on my site because the template that I've built in doesn't allow anything beyond that, which is, is frustrating for me, but we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, but to get those buttons clicked, um, it's important to put messages that help overcome objections and anxieties around those buttons. Um, that doesn't have to be a message that you've written and preferably not a message that you've composed, but rather like a testimonial um, or something else from an authority figure that will help overcome objections. So that's kind of getting ahead of ourselves. The first step is to figure out what objections the majority of the customers that you're trying to convert, not everybody, the, again, the, the small percentage of people, the 35% that you're trying to convert, what are their most likely objections to buying from you or to using your solution? Um, so figuring out those and then overcoming those objections um, as well as anxieties. And those could be around like, you know, is your site secure? Am I, can I get my money back if this doesn't work? Is this free trial really free or are you going to take my credit card right, or, right away? Um, that kind of stuff. Saying simple things like, we won't ask for your credit card right near the button or that, yes, this trial is really 100% free. Um, things like right. that right near the point of clicking. And I know it seems like, oh, it's obvious I've seen that done before. But for every one time you see it done, there are 10 other times where you don't see it done. And it could just be, it's just a really easy fix, right? Figuring out what, what little, what, what small things are going to keep people from clicking on that button and positioning it around there. And that's where a great testimonial um, can do amazing work near a button. And FreshBooks is a great example. They do this all the time. They have I call them click triggers, just things that trigger people to click that was right near the button, as close to the button as it can possibly get. You surround that button with, you know, um, testimonials, with logos of other companies that are already using your solution, um, and with other things like free shipping, yes, this is really free, those sorts of messages. Really surround the button, treat the button like, you know, it has to be surrounded by that, like it's not allowed to sit alone. Um, that's critical for um, improving your conversion rate, definitely. Yeah, so you, you, it's sort of like you're pushing over the edge. Any last-minute objection they have, you've got to remove that. Let's just, let's just seal the deal here. Yeah, it's going to feel good. Don't worry about it. Exactly, and that's always the thing with high-converting copy is it's not trying to – it's actually – it's not major changes that you're going to be making. These are things that are going to take that low-hanging fruit – that's what a high converting copy really aims at is this lowest hanging fruit and really work on, on those things. It's not, it's not redoing your site or rethinking everything. It's taking the people that were pretty close but decided not to buy and making those people decide to buy instead of decide to leave. Because so many people are close. They just need reminders along the way that it's going to be easy to buy. This is going to be the right solution for you. And you're going to be happy after doing it. You won't have to have any anxieties at the end of it. Um, you can just make them feel that way. And, and that actually in tests again and again, um, that's where we see people converting more than they do if you don't do those things. And there's such easy fixes. Right, right. So, um, it's almost like the, uh, you know, if it's a free trial or money back, like, you, you, you know, money back guarantee, like, that might be the kind of things like, hey, if you're going to click this, don't worry, you can get your money back if you're not happy, yeah. that kind of thing. Is that yeah. that's the, an example of something that might work in that case, in a, next to a button? That's an example, for sure. And um, you can get more specific. Um, 
than that if you want to, because I've seen, you know, in some, you know, usability sessions or wherever people come back and say what their problem is um, with like a 30 day money back guarantee message. People have the next layer of anxiety around that. Well, great, but is it going to be hard to get my money back? Are you going to put it back on my credit card or will I get some crappy little check in the mail? Like, what am I, if I call you up on the 31st day, am I still, am I screwed or can I still get it? So understanding the level of anxiety that people have and putting the right um, anxiety reducer near the right button. So everything doesn't have to go near the button on your homepage that's like, sign up or tour. Like it's not, it's not time for that yet, but if you're getting people towards the cart, so when you're in the cart, you're going to want to have a different, different anxieties that you have to reduce, different objections that you have to overcome at that point versus earlier on, further away from the funnel. And as you get closer, that's where you want to get more granular with your um, anxiety reducers. Yeah. Like don't right. worry and really get into like do a, a checklist with actual check marks of how easy it is to get your money back. Um, and people, of course, think, oh, no, now everybody's going to jump and try to get their money back. But let's say that you increase the number of people who try to get their money back by 1%, but you increase your conversion by 5%, um, things feel pretty okay at that point. Right, right. right. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah that's, that's a good point. So our next one is let your customers write your copy, which, Justin, you should love that one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because she's a lazy ass, is my implication. Well, so, yeah, so I, I don't I think she... I was laughing to myself when I read that last night. I'm like, oh, Jess is going to love this one. I don't think she really means that your customers write your copy. I think she's got a little twist on it. Yeah, no, wouldn't that be great, though? Um, yeah, no, the... It's called a wiki. <laughs> true. Right. Just open your whole site up. Um, yeah, no, the idea is it's a pretty obvious one, but it's that the most compelling messages won't come from you. The most compelling messages will come from the people who've used your product. Um, and the greater their authority, the better, or the more, the closer they are to the type of audience you're trying to attract, the better. So um, if you have an accounting solution, I have to say this because I'm, you know, that's my background. Um, then you want to, if you're trying to attract freelancers or graphic designers who are freelancers to use your solution, that's where you use obviously a, a testimonial from a graphic designer who is a freelancer, put the picture there, all that kind of stuff. Uh, this, again, it seems obvious, um, but it's actually not that obvious. People tend to just gather testimonials from everybody, and those testimonials say anything. They just say, wow, this is really great. Thanks for it. But that didn't, that didn't actually, that's not copy. That's not, you would never write that message. That message isn't actually doing anything. It's not going to stick with anybody. Um, the better way to have, the better testimonial to go for is always going to be the one that actually includes messages that you would love to write yourself, but nobody would believe it if you said it about yourself. Um, so those will, again, overcome objections. Like, um, I wasn't ready to pay for this solution. I didn't think I'd ever spend money on a free, you know, Twitter solution or whatever. Um, but, but I am so glad I did, and I don't know how I lived without this, right? So you're overcoming an objection around, well, should I spend money to buy some sort of solution that works with free Twitter, right? Why would I spend money on that? Surely there's something else out there that I can use for free, um, but a testimonial can easily overcome those objections where as instead of you writing and saying, you should use this, you should spend your money on this because it's way better or whatever, 
great, that's you saying it versus a customer saying it. And suddenly it's, it's believable when the customer is writing that out. And even more so, obviously, if it's someone like, you know, the people on, you know, TechCrunch or whatever, some other authority figure who's, who's saying it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. So, Justin, you've always been a big fan of uh, using social proof, right? I mean, that's... Yeah, I have. And it's funny that she gave that example because that's exactly what I've got on the front page of Plugio. Um, Luigi Fumagalli um, from a blog called Designer Fix, he sent me an email and it said, this is the first time I've paid for a tool like this. I absolutely had to have this. Yeah. There's nothing else that can save this much time. So it's it's pretty much trying to... I'm, I think that I've got that part of it right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And that's, I think a lot of people do have these testimonials hidden somewhere. Um, it's just pulling them out and making sure, and really kind of scrapping the ones that are just like, wow, that was cool or whatever. This <laughs> was good enough. Wow. You're awesome. We love you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just keep that, that, you keep that in the back of your mind to make you feel good, but uh, <laughs> that's going to work on anybody else. Totally. So, so big drum roll. The um, key component for copywriting, number nine, the final one on the list, is be ridiculously explicit and then rely on design to show your elegance. Yes. So ridiculously explicit is really where you should be starting with every message that you write, every single one that you write down, every headline, everything. It should be so clear it would bore a copyright, like, or sorry, a creative writer and like make someone like me super duper happy. Really clear. It doesn't have to be long and filled with technical jargon. That's not a good thing, but it has to be clear, just straightforward right there. So if you can say, if you can figure out what your product does and what the benefit is, it doesn't have to have fancy words. There's no big secret there. You just have to type those words out on the page. That's it. And then make sure, of course, that it's short enough, like it follows the other rules that we've already said, um, where it's you know succinct, it's hopefully memorable. It describes a benefit um, and is supported by a feature, or the reverse, it's a feature that's supported by a benefit. Um, make it the the messages, the most compelling messages are really just straightforward. X is Y because of Z or whatever it might be, and then typography is layered on over it, and then you make it look great. Like if you go to, I think. Bell Strike does great examples of this. Bell Strike's site is, of course, like beautiful. So that really helps. Um, but their messages are really clear. But you don't feel like you're reading boring copy because it's it's actually in a really um, elegant layout. And so you can actually elevate the the work of your copy. You can make your copy work that much harder just by displaying it elegantly. And that's where a copywriter, obviously, most of us love to work with visual designers and people who deal in typography because that you don't have to be a great copywriter. You don't have to write the next long form direct mail that like converts like crazy. You just have to get to a crisp, clear point with your messages, not clever, not fancy, not beyond, not going to impress any, you know, publishing house, just get crisp and then layer over some really elegant design. There's, I there's no comparison for a well-designed site that has crisp copy versus a not-so-great-looking site that has, you know, really lovely-sounding copy, right? It's, it's a no-brainer. Does that make sense? Hmm. Always be clear, and then yeah. let design take over. So let's, um, let's jump into uh, a little bit of a case study with uh, any Jason, just, just before, before that, I just want to say I, I'm... I'm breathing a sigh of relief at this point in time because when I first read Joanna's nine bullet points and she said things like, 
be ridiculously explicit and get your buttons clicked. I was worried what she was going to talk about, but it's, it's all turned out for the best now. So, so that's good. Very <laughs> Use sexual innuendo wherever possible. Right. No, but yeah. I guess we could, you know, we should uh, jump into uh, like a, a case study, if we can, of uh, Inifu or Pluggy, I guess we could do either, but or both, whatever, depending, I guess, how much time we have. But um, I was thinking in terms of our, our tagline for Inifu um, – well, I guess first I should ask you, do you know what Anifu is? So that, um... Yep. Yeah, Lance talks about it a lot, so for sure. Okay. Oh, yeah. great. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, and just for our listeners, if the case you don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a way that you can hire uh, an expert, um, say a technology expert, um, very quickly and easily and, uh, you know, say like, hey, I need someone to help me um, configure and get a bunch of EC2 instances up and going and, and you want to do it like an hour or two and you have somebody who's done it 10 times or 20 times and, and they can just walk you through it and then you eat and pay them through PayPal and all that kind of stuff. Makes it all really easy. So our, um, our tagline is a just-in-time uh, expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to ask you what you thought of that as sort of a, of a tagline. Do you think that works or do you have a, some... Yeah. Uh, a, a proposed revision, or, or what do you think? Yeah, so taglines are, are, are a different beast entirely. Um, presented on your site right now, like on anyfood.com, um, it's, it, it appears to be a headline. It, feel, it doesn't look like a tagline. Um, it, it looks like a headline. So are we, are we clear on... Oh, okay, okay. About so think about the... Yeah, they, I guess that's, that's the unfortunate thing. Anyfood.com right now, which is just sort of collecting... Oh, sorry. ...is just some, something I... Threw okay. up there, and, you know. Okay. Years. Okay. Sorry, that's uh, where I am. Yeah, I mean, I guess we we don't really have that, so uh, we don't really have a um a, a true landing page that has anything well thought put up there. But, but it is a, it is a headline on that page, so let's look at it in that context. So if so, basically, given what you know about Anyfu and the fact that we've got this headline on that page, what do you think? Yeah. So well, even as a tagline too, I think just in time expertise. That's this is what we're talking about. Is that correct? Just in time expertise. Yeah, right. Um, I, I would, if it were me, if I was writing it, I would ask what kind of expertise this is. Um, so just-in-time expertise, great. I love just-in-time, perfect, that makes sense. Expertise is a good thing. Uh, just-in-time expertise is highly desirable, um, but but it's not really, it's not at a point where it's quite clear yet. I just don't know what kind of expertise it is just by glancing at it, right? So. Just in time, technical expertise. Yeah, right. A technical, if that's what it really is, unless that sounds like like an IT department kind of thing. I don't know. Like, who and who's your audience? The average audience. Like, if if yeah. I'm your audience, if Joanna Weeb is your audience, and I saw just in time technical expertise when I landed on this site, I might think that I'm in an IT kind of world. But just in time people... coding and sysadmin expertise. Oh, no, no, expertise? Because, no, because no, because you know. Um, we don't. We're just going to start with coding, but we're going to quickly, quickly go laterally into things like system administration, marketing, and like you would be a perfect example. Having you up there as a copywriting expert. Let's say somebody wanted to, you know, work with you for you know a couple hours and have you review their stuff and go with you would be a perfect example. Of someone we want on the site. That's cool. Okay, great. Call me later. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> time. No, then in that case, I mean, I would, if I were you, I would start with the first group, the first wave of traffic that you're going to get. And if that is around coding expertise, I would put just-in-time coding expertise in there. Um, 
just just to get because you want to speak to the people who are arriving on your site. You want to convert the people who are coming to your site. Obviously, we all know that. But if we really think about that, I want to convert the people who are coming to my site today. Then I would put just in time coding expertise so that they know what they're getting. So this this is actually the perfect example of what you're talking about. Don't market to 100%. So 100% would be the just-in-time expertise because we're going, oh, we, we want technical expertise, we want copywriting expertise, we want sysadmin expertise. Yeah. But now you're saying, look, the first, what, what, who you're selling to now, who you're converting to now is coders. And, and basically it's going to be coders on your site. It's not going to be sysadmins. So by saying just-in-time coding expertise, it's kind of 100% targeted to both the, the sellers and the buyers at this point in time. Right. Like to me, that feels stronger for the people who are going to come to the, to the site. They need their landing. They get it. They get it right away. No thinking. They can instantly say, yes, it's what I want. And if it's not quite what they want, then you might have other, another message off, you know, to the side that says also coming soon, blah, blah, blah. And you list off marketing and those sorts of things. Um, but then in time, like, so then when you're ready to say just in time, coding, marketing, and all these other things, all these other types of experts that you're going to have listed. Um, that's where, you know, instantly what comes to mind for me, and I hope this isn't jumping too far ahead or getting in where you don't want me to go, but you know, you know, Sortfolio by 37 Signals? Yeah, sure. Sure. So yeah. Sortfolio allowed, it des- allowed designers to um, create, put their portfolio on this one site so that, so that people would come and, and find a designer, right? Right. And, but the headline at the top of the page, it, it's it's actually it helps you figure out what they do. So it says like find a and then there's a drop down. It leads with graphic design. So it'll say find a graphic designer in Chicago. Um, and graphic designer in Chicago are both you know you can interact with them and switch graphic designer to copywriter or whatever it is. I don't remember. I think it doesn't have copywriter. It's like some other thing. But you can switch and you can switch the location from Chicago to, you know, Montreal or whatever it might be. And that's where the same sort of thing might easily work here, right? Just in time coding expertise that, you know, then you can click the coding and it switches to marketing. That's a great idea. Well, what about, see, I, I always feel like the, if we, if it had more of a, if if we left that as a tagline, just to time expertise, because I think that really explains what our brand is going to be. But then we have our headline is find a, you know, an expert coder in minutes or or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. We use the headline to be explicit about one set of buyers, but we use the tagline, just like the logo is not going to change. The name is going to change the tagline. That's who we are. Right. I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Because I'd hate to have, there's certain things that are fine if they're in flux and there are other things that you kind of want to establish and build upon. And I'd hate to be like, well, every three months we're changing our tagline to match broader audience. I mean, that seems a little wishy-washy. You're right. You're right. We, we were talking about, we were talking about the, the title as a, as a title on the homepage as a rather than okay. yeah, as a headline. Rather than the, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to clarify. So headlines seem like something that can be very dynamic and you'd be constantly be testing and changing. Whereas the brand, I mean, you kind of want to figure out what that is as soon as you can and build upon it and not be like every three months, you're like a whole different brand. For sure. From a branding perspective, yeah. Your tagline, unless you're McDonald's, your tagline probably shouldn't be changing that often, right? If ever, unless you're like rebranding. Um, but yeah, I agree. I was in branding for quite a few years. And uh, yeah, I think if your tagline, if that's your tagline, just in time expertise and you feel good about it, um, taglines can be as good as your value prop, right? The M&M's tagline is also their value prop. The Tassimo, you know, that home brewing system, um, their tagline is uh, the barcode brews it better. That's also a great value proposition. So you can get to a point 
um, where your tagline and your value proposition, aka headline on homepage, um, are the same thing. And then, you know, it actually helps your brand a lot. Um, but nonetheless, just-in-time expertise, if you feel good about that as a tagline, um, it's so close. To really, it's just, it's, it's almost as subjective as like the look and feel of a logo or the name of a company, um, a tagline, right. because it's so tied into branding more than anything else. Um, but yeah, it's nice to get really crisp. Is there anybody else who can say just-in-time expertise? If there's nobody else who can say that, then that sounds awesome. But if there yeah. is, then is it building your brand? Because if people think, oh, right, like if they think every, if they can name off five other companies that say that they could also, or that could say they have just-in-time expertise, um, like a temp agency could say that or something, you know, then if it's not. Yeah, I think, I think we're yeah. pretty good there. I don't really think yeah. there's a lot. I mean, you can get just-in-time unskilled labor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, expertise is the difference, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it's sort of a hard thing to have, have have. That's really the problem we're trying to solve. Is yeah. um, is, is that exactly? So I I but you're right. I think but yeah, that's a really good point. I mean the I mean yeah. That's that's why this page is not the best for um as an example because it was something I just threw together um in late one night um but the tagline itself should definitely be much more sp specific and speaking to our core 20 or 30% that you talked about that are most likely to convert the people right. we want, the, the likely buyers, as you say, as you would say, right. the likely customers. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what's interesting is I really like, um, I think not just like, cause I don't think like is a good thing to say about copy or design, but, um, I think a, an effective line on your page is that, and I'm not surprised it's coming from you is this, if Elance and Odesk are the 99 cent stores, any food is going to be Tiffany and co. Um, it's clear, <laughs> right? That's, that's a picture yeah. that you're drawing, right? We can, we can, we can, we get it. We get it. So right. that's the dollar store. This is the high-end store. Of course, we want the high-end store. I don't want a dollar store. Yeah, it, I love it. I think it makes a lot of sense. It'd be great to pull it out and call it out in some um, in some nice way. Well, it's a little controversial, right? Some people were like, what? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's, fight, right? They always say, pick a fight and differentiate yourself. It's kind of like that blue ocean, red ocean. Like, we want to go blue ocean. We don't want to compete with them. We want to we want to um, demarcate a, a, a very severe line. We are not like them. So people yeah. can immediately understand, you know, people who like that or it's a good solution for them, go for it. But if you're not happy with that as a solution, then you need to look at us because we're on the opposite end of the spectrum kind of thing. Exactly. And that's the 20 to 35% there too, right? Are those people you may turn away 60% of your traffic because they're like, oh, well, I think Elance is fine or I used Odesk and I like them. Um, but, but the ones who stick are like, yeah, I want to use Tiffany and co that's, that's the only place I'd want to go to when we're talking about putting my coding on the line, right? Like it has to be the best. It can't be from the dollar store where it's going to break tomorrow. Um, so right. yeah, I think it's a great example of a lot of different good copywriting practices. Nice well, so. It's kind of like, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> well, see, you know, it'd be great. That's exactly, <laughs> you know, this will be kind of, uh, I guess a dual promotion because I'm, pro <laughs> but I was having you on Enifa would be perfect for this, right? Because um, I would be awesome at different points to come in and, and I have like, you know, 10 or 15 questions. Okay, let's go through these pages. Here's what we've written. Here's what we think is good. Here's what we've tested. Let's get some hardcore, you know, very specific feedback from you, you know, for, you know, an hour or two or whatever. And um, I would think that you would be like, you would be able to create an incredible amount of value for people because I think if they read through your books, they would have a good understanding and could get 
make a lot of difference, but bringing a true expert to come in and, and do like kind of a review um, for a couple hours or, you know, a couple hours of time would probably very uh, mutually beneficial. Yeah. Mm, great. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a great point. I've actually been um, on Twitter right now of people who are buying the eBooks are then like trying it out. Like, are they, you know, writing copy and then sending it to me? Like, what do you think of this? And, you know, we have a little back and forth on it like that. But I think that's, that's a really good point is people who are trying to do these things for themselves. Um, DIY is great, but it also helps to have someone come in and, you know, check things over and say, oh yeah, you did that right. And oh, this could be improved. Yeah. It, yeah. I, so I'm just agreeing with you. <laughs> so, <No. cool>. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get you on any foo <laughs> as soon as we get, uh, get this thing launched and get a little beyond the tech. Cause I think this is a perfect example. So, um, well, well, Justin, do you, is there anything you want to ask her about any food or do you want to go into uh, a question about Plugio? Um, yeah, I mean, if, if we have time um, to do a quick little look at Plugio, I mean, it's, it's going to make me wince, but uh, I think we should, we should do it. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's... okay so you want to go to the, the Plugio homepage? Yeah. Um, Plugio.com? Yep, I'm on it. And, uh, and basically, the thinking behind Plugio is basically you're plugged into all of your social networks. Um, now, I've gone through various different iterations of headlines and... Um, <laughs> one of them was save time on Twitter, which is still actually the um, the title tag, which is which is your example of the the worst weakest possible headline. But, <laughs> but at the moment, oh, no. it's it's saying get plugged in, uh, rock Twitter, and I I really don't know what else to write in here. Hmm. Um, and part part of that is because the the product appeals to four different well a few different markets, a few different user types. So this this is probably a problem with having this single product that appeals to these three different types of users. So it, it appeals to single users who are kind of power users and like to use it to, to save time from their power user perspective. Uh, businesses who basically market their business uh, using Plugio and then AGO, uh, agents who like to manage 20 accounts or more. And if you click into any one of those, so for example, if you click on the, the business, you hover over the business one yes. and click into plans and info i've tried to just do micro copy about the benefits for each one of those and then if you click into plans and info um you'll see there the kind of micro copy on that page. for sure for sure okay yeah, i have a i have a couple questions is that okay yeah go okay um Shoot. so so when i land on it um i don't have any idea coming to this site you know so I did, i'm not like the average searcher or whatever someone who would otherwise land on here um what I don't. I don't know when I look at the headline. I don't know what it does. Yeah. No. It's it's true, and um, and that is probably the one problem with it right now. If you could, yeah, I think a a great a copywriting exercise would just be to write down Plugio does this, and then make that one thing very specific. Um, if you can, now you're saying you have three different audiences, but which are the which of those three are the ones who are coming there most often, or are they all? Is it thirty three, thirty three, thirty three? Like it is, it is pretty much thirty three, thirty three with with slightly less of the agency type. So it's mainly the power user and the business type. And is there anything that those two groups have in common that could be the power user and business that could be turned into a statement about what Plugio does? For them, like a what it is, b what the benefit is of it, um, which is what well, the headlines. Are, are you still on the the homepage? I am. Okay, so if you hover over the power user panel and then hover over the business panel, those basically are the, the, the those bullet points there are the other things. Get more traffic, find local customers. So finding customers, local customers, and building. 
would you say there's anything they have in common? It's I, I don't know. Right? I mean, so it's, it, see, basically, the one the, the the power user they use it because it's just easy to use Twitter. It it makes it just gives you so many shortcuts for using Twitter, so that you can spend a lot less time on Twitter. The business person use it because it's it's short. So so in other words, it's it's about relationships and talking to people and making that real fast and finding content and being a thought leader and all that kind of stuff. That's the power user's perspective. But from a business point of view, it's just they go in there 10 minutes a day and they can um, automate a lot of stuff and it will just grow their Twitter following without them having to think about it. So it's two different use cases. Hmm. Um, they, oh, they both seem to get just as much. But if, in the emails that they send, they both seem just as delighted with the product. Can you say in a statement what Plugio is or does? Plugio. It is a Twitter tool. Um, that makes it real easy to do everything on Twitter. <laughs> Including it's a Twitter power tool. It's a Twitter power tool that, that you can post to Facebook and any social network with. It also grows your following. It also how does, um, how does it... It helps you find content by using keywords. Uh, it's a, that does a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. I would spend more time myself um i think if if everybody coming to your site is like have you seen how people are using your site at all like do you know what the where they go next like do you know what the most common next page is what for, for people from, who land for, on the home from the home page mm-hmm. um uh, well no i don't it's you don't know that there. okay because yeah. <laughs> i wonder like because i went straight to tour because i wanted to find out i, I looked at the site just before we came on uh to the show today um I looked at it and then I went straight to tour because I wanted to know what it does. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder, like, that can really show you a lot, right, about what people are missing or what they're not understanding that you could easily show on the homepage. So what I would do, just based on what you're saying, like, I've been writing down what you've been saying. Um, that makes it really easy to do everything on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, it, it'd be great to get. So easy is, easy is good if people think it's hard. Do people think it's hard? What's hard? What's the hard thing about Twitter? Is that it's is it that it's time consuming? Well, the um, hard, it's kind of hard to follow conversations. Um, okay. you know, to, it's kind of hard to make to have meaningful conversations, and Plugio kind of makes that it's hard easy. to grow your following. It's hard to grow your following. Plugio makes it real easy to focus in on one person and see everything that's been said between you and them. Um, but you see, it this this is kind of why I asked you the Microsoft Word question. <laughs> because yeah. <laughs> Plugio is kind of like that it, it it it's 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 a tool that's very broad reaching and that's probably part of the problem with its whole marketing effort like how would you market something like microsoft word i wouldn't even know yeah that's that's tough but yeah microsoft yeah you know what it was just when i hear this sorry i'm now my head's all caught up in this the follow conversation have meaningful conversations hard to grow your following track your conversations um it sounds like what was the pain you thought that you were addressing when you built this? Well, see, in the very first place, because it, it's it's been very lean startup, so there's been a lot of iterations through customer feedback. So when I first built it, I just built it so that I could plug in an RSS feed, and it would, uh, and I, and I could go through that RSS feed and curate content and tweet it at a click of a button, and it would put it onto a, a queue, and then that would be drip fed throughout the day. That was the original reason for building Plugio. 
<laughs> I'm writing it down. It's um. So what I would oh sorry I just moved something. What I would do is I would if I were you um and I can work I'm happy to do this with you like separately absolutely because I because I want to get down to the you need a it. lot of help Justin you need a lot no of help. no I don't. It's just, like, I, I think that this power user business agency um I, th- I think that needs to be that's Jason's idea. I think it's a great idea. I just think it needs to be bumped, oh, it needs to be bumped down a little more because I think there needs to be more introduction on it. I need. To I was know. hoping you were going to say it was a rubbish idea. It needed to. Oh, you need to crap. scrap that crap. Wait, listen to, to this that. Jason clown. <laughs> no, but you've said so many things, right? And I think it's important to. And I, I definitely like this is what I've experienced so far when I've worked with startups. Your solution does a lot of things. A lot of things that you think are important and that users, the more they use them, think are important. But what is the thing that they're coming here to get solved today? What is the most likely thing that most people want to do, most of the people that you can convert want to do with this? Um, what is that thing? And there has to be that thing. And if there's not that thing, it's not like, oh, well, I guess there's not that thing. There has to be that thing in order to get people to convert. Otherwise, well, um, if you see the if you see the survey results, there there just isn't that thing. That's the problem. The survey results basically it, the the results show that everyone who uses it's really happy with it, but they all use it for completely different reasons. Yeah. So, but <laughs> and that's and that's cool, right? You can still have like a bullet list up at the top, and not just an ugly bullet. Obviously, like a good bullet list. It's like a check mark of the different things you can do. Yes, you can do that. Yes, you can do that. Yes, you can do that. That's awesome. People like seeing all the things they can do, but they still need to understand the real benefit of using it. And I think a lot of this will come down to like what you've said is all about um, making it easier to have meaningful conversations, to follow conversations, um, track. It's all about so far what I've heard really boils down to the conversations. But you've also said on the other side, there's growing your following. Um, what's more important to people and what does Plugio do well, better? If you want to see the, the perfect bullet point list of what it really does, have a look at the pricing page. Click on um, pricing, power user plans. And then just look at, in, in, in the middle box there, um, the, the bullet points. This two Twitter accounts. all Yeah, exactly. So, so each one of those things is the the benefits of Plugio, what it brings you. So yeah, grow following is definitely a benefit. Um, but, but to what end? Uh, bulk sc- well, uh, yeah. So you, so you grow following to increase your luck surface area in your marketing. Um, so two Twitter accounts shows that you can manage multiple Twitter accounts. Yes. To Facebook shows that you can post to Facebook and other social networks. Yes. To local search shows that you can uh, focus in and build relationships with people on a local business. So for example, if you're a car dealer, you could focus and find customers who are local. Yes to bulk scheduling shows that you can use spreadsheets to basically um, schedule your tweets over the next month if you want to. Um, yes to 25,000 followers shows that it can help to, once again, manage a large following. The schedule buffer thing there shows that you can put content onto um, a queue and mm. it, it, will, it will put it out. And the automated feeds shows that you can automate RSS feeds. So maybe it just does too much. Maybe that's what the problem is. <laughs> well, I do think it's easier to sell something that does just one thing, right? Like I look at this at the 100 schedule buffer and that's like, um, I, I didn't know about Pluggy or I might have gone to it, but I, I do uh, use Buffer app um, and that's all it does, right? It's $5 and it just does that. Maybe they're growing it out more. I don't know. But obviously it's really easy to sell me on that because that's one thing that I want to do. And it's like, it's an easy solution, right? 
you're spending time going into Twitter whenever you want to do something. You don't have time for that. So it's an obvious time solve without saying save time, say it in the better way. But if I really think like, so if it's a great solution, if people love it, what, what are they saying they love? Like in their feedback, what's, what rises to the surface? Do you hear anything really coming? Like when you're, when you're being really honest with yourself, what comes to the surface? Anything in particular that they love about Plugio? Unfortunately, there is not one specific thing. It's a number of things that are repeated again and again by a cross segment of customers, and and they are the things that we've talked about. So if you if you look through the um, survey.io results, and I hope this isn't getting too boring for listeners now, but if you look if you look at the survey.io results, they will say they absolutely love Plugio, and they each love it for the different reasons. So maybe it should be split up into separate products. I mean, maybe that's the that's where it should go. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's now what I'm... I was saying, Jess. I mean, that was sort of my advice all along. It wasn't just selling it differently. It was breaking it up. And like, these are almost, com- these, at the very least, are completely different um, versions of the product. Okay. Well, it's actually that you, now that you mentioned that, that's something that I do get from a number of customers is I love the fact that I can do all that stuff that I need to do in one place rather well, than using is, lots uh, of different products. Uh, well, I mean, the question is, who, who says it and how many people say it? So you kind of have like a cluster analysis. You almost want to do a cluster analysis. It's not like, well, more people like this than these other things. It's like, well, you have one cluster of people who want one thing, another want another thing, and a third that want another thing. And then you might have just a few random people who want to use it, everything. I mean, eventually, you're going to have to sacrifice some segments of your users to grow it into a bigger product for the, the clusters. Like, where are the bulk of the people? You know? I mean, what happens is people start using Twitter and then they realize they need to use one tool to do certain things like Buffer App, another tool to do other things, another tool to do other things. And then they find Plugio. And by this stage, they're pretty, you know, they're, they're Twitter power users. But it's a pain for them that they have to log into seven different services to, to manage yeah. their whole Twitter well, account. The, well, the question is, is, how, is how, how, what percentage of people, um, you know, are, 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 does that group consist of? I mean, is that like a small number of people or is that the majority? Because, you know... You, you can't please all the people. All, if no, you're trying to please no, everybody, right. you're not going to please anybody that yeah. much. You're kind of pleased. So you kind of have to, you have to make a decision. And I think in, 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 in that's got to be reflected in design, has to be reflected in feature segmentation, has to be reflected in your copy. And I think you have to have a hard think about it and, and make a choice. Because if you don't make a decision, you're making a decision. And your decision right now is there is no decision and that you're just going to try and please everybody and, and you're going to have this huge bag of features that everybody's going to have to... That, you know, be confronted with and they might not necessarily understand or need. So how did Microsoft Word ever get successful? They're Microsoft. They might not be successful today, right? Would they, if they launched with everything, would they be successful today? You're in a different, a different environment. Uh, people have different expectations and, you know, everybody uses Microsoft Word and that's why, because we've always used it, not because it's the best solution necessarily, um, but it's because we're use it, we use it and we're used to using it. But if I'm going to start something new, if I've never used Microsoft Word before and I get to choose between everything that's out there, I mean, A, I don't know everything that's out there because I've always used it myself, but if we were to imagine being in that position, um, now, what could Microsoft Word do to win me over? And probably the best thing they could do right now to convert me is to say that the whole free world is using it. Um, and that's huge authority right there, right? Of course, I'm going to follow what the herd is doing. That's how we make decisions. Um, but, 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 but this conversation, like while you guys have been talking, um, I agree that it's nice to have a streamlined little product 
that you can sell easily to specific groups of people, done. You know exactly what pain you're solving. They know exactly what pain you're solving. You get to communicate to that, that to them. They check it off on their box. They feel the difference as soon as they buy it. Awesome. But that doesn't mean that what you have can't be properly messaged still. It's just a matter of sorting through. Like, like Jason was saying, like, there's, there's a lot going on here. Um, and I think that you could possibly consider running a test where you kind of um, pull out some of the things that you do in your messaging. Like maybe don't talk about Facebook. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe you don't have to talk about bulk scheduling because I don't know. Maybe people don't, didn't come here because they're looking for bulk scheduling or they didn't come here because they, they care about Facebook. They came here for Twitter. They want to manage. They want to grow their Twitter following and they want to manage those conversations and they want to do it all in one place. So if you can eliminate other things that are just, they're good, but they're extras, right? Like they're just the cherry on top. Just throw it off. Nobody needs to talk about that. You don't have to sell them with that. I don't know. I think you get down to, so I wrote out, this isn't, this isn't it. This isn't, I don't think this is the headline, but I think this could be a good starting point um, is just to say, grow your Twitter following and manage every tweet in one place. Cause I do think that in one place, when you said that, that was critical that you can do a lot of things in one place. Um, Cause you're right. If I want to do something more than what buffer app does, now I have to go find something else that does it. And I have to do it in multiple different places. And just like you said, I've got all sorts of different accounts that I have to deal with. I could just do that all in Plugio. So is that getting anywhere closer? Grow your Twitter following and manage every tweet or every conversation, but conversation is such a long word um, in one place. Yes. I like it. And it gives me an opportunity to use an ampersand. Yeah, I was going to say that. I'm like, there you go, Justin. It's Justin in your <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I've, I've, I've put your headline on Plugio and um, oh. it will you be there have? live. Yeah, so so it's, it's very close to your headline. Um, it will be, it should it be there. Like am- There's a couple more ampersands in there. Though. No, I, I, instead, of, I, instead of grow your Twitter following, I put it as grow your Twitter. Oh, okay. Because so, I think the people will understand that. Because it, just, it was a very long sentence. Yeah, um, I would have. Okay, so you're right. Um, it's long. I, I probably was. So grow your Twitter and manage every tweet in one place. Grow <laughs> your Twitter. I just don't know what that means. I don't know. What <laughs> I don't know. I, it sounds like a it sounds like the kind of commercials that come on after midnight. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with you this show, but you have been okay. rude. <laughs> rude. <laughs> you guys brought up the, the, the you know. You no, got no, no, no. Don't, d- d- don't say it again. You've been too rude. <laughs> and I had to cut it out. And I'm going to put this in the end in the end show. Hi. Okay. So, so, so you think that it doesn't work without the following then? Well, I just needs- don't, I don't think anybody really knows what grow your, <laughs> grow your Twitter is. But if you were to say <laughs> grow your Twitter following and on the first line and then manage every tweet in one place on the second line make them, you know, look like one headline. A headline can be two lines, right? I would do that. That's if I were you. I wouldn't and you shouldn't start I would uh, listen to her, Justin. She knows of what she speaks. Don't okay. just throw your Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would do that. If I were you, I'd give that a shot. Um anyway, there's there's more ways you could go, right? But I do think that your homepage needs to state what you do. Um this doesn't yet follow this doesn't grow your Twitter following and manage every tweet in one place. 
doesn't have a benefit associated with it yet, right? It's it's all implied benefits. You haven't stated anything explicitly that's benefit, but that could be really easily done in a nice headline, or sorry, in a nice subhead for that headline that says exactly what you get out of it, right? So you can spend less time actually on Twitter. Um, you can automate that growth of your Twitter following. All those other things where it gets down to the real benefit, what people really don't want to do anymore that your solution will do for them. No? Yeah. No, no, yes. That's great. Um that that really helps. I think you need to just I think you're gonna be doing need need to do some reading. <laughs> I think I think copy hackers book you got some reading in your future. Exactly. Yeah. That's funny. So yeah. I got uh, I got um I think we're kinda nearing toward the end of the our, our time, aren't we, Justin? Yeah, and I just want to say um thank you so much for that for that advice that last segment there i hope it hasn't gone on too long for the listeners um but i personally i've really really got a lot of value from it so thank you very much well i'd like to close i have this one little um skype message i got from guy who's uh, my partner in crime on another project app ignite and he wanted to uh he says listen to most of last night's episode some questions on copyright has she been involved in copyright reform? Does she think the recent growth of digital piracy is related to copyright, <laughs> current copyright legislation? What would be her opinion of an ideal solution? So, oh, man. Uh, could you please <laughs> just uh, give us if your pe- thought? If people tuned in hoping that that's the kind of copyright we're talking about today, um, I had a single day of law school, so I can I can only get into so much. Actually, <laughs> that's funny. like what the hell is he talking about? I'm like copyright, not copyright. Oh, oh no, oh no! You better be explicit with like the headline for this particular show, so people don't expect a lawyer. Ay ay ay. Oh, we should actually that would be a good turn of phrase. Copyright reform from nice. That's right. I'm gonna I'm gonna rename my books. That's a great copyright reform. Copyright, yeah, the new copyright reform. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Joanna, it's been a real pleasure meeting you and uh, hearing all of your uh, insights on this. I mean, I have I have to say I I got a lot to learn. I have to I have some reading to do myself and. I have a feeling we're going to have to get you on again at some point, especially when uh, after any food launches and we need to get some some uh, screws tightened. Cool. Yeah, I'd be glad to. And and I don't know if you recall, uh, Jason and Justin, but there was a offer for texting users, texting listeners. Oh, right. Oh. That's right. You were going to you were give us a generous our listeners a generous offer. What was it again? It's well, so on. Um, I'm just extending the offer that I'd previously put out there for the launch. Um, that's 50% off any book on copyhackers.com, including the bundle, which is already discounted. Um, yeah, all you have to do is put in the code TEXTING, T-E-C-H-Z-I-N-G. Is it Z or Z? Well, I say Z and he says Z. So well, either of those will do. <laughs> and yeah. that in the cart, and then you get 50% off. If you want it, it goes for a week from this date, from the 25th on. So there you go. All right. Well, thank, nice. Thanks a lot, John. Uh, we wish you the best of luck with uh, Copy Hackers. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the chat. Yeah, awesome. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. I'm just going to make it one sentence because it's going to be too difficult to do it two lines because of it technical is. reasons of absolute positioning of the of the divs. But for, just for the moment, I'll do it as one. Anyway, and I'll, I'm going to put that live right now. Okay. You can replace <laughs> one with...
number one. Okay. <laughs> there are technical reasons it has to be one line. I loved it. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> His database structure only allows one line. <laughs> does it fit though? Yeah, it does. It does when I've when I've done it. If you if you um reload, it should yeah. be there now. Just his personal. Yeah, it's there now. Reload. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Awesome. That's you, your line. Well, you you are on Plugio now. Yay! You should be testing it though against your control to see if it really does work. Well, I will know within the next month whether it's worked. Because if I've lost a lot of money the next month, I'm going to call you up and say, Uh what the hell? (laughs) And wait, wait, wait. what if you make a lot of money? Do I get a cut? No, I call you up and I say, thanks. You you were actually right. (laughs) That's good enough. That's good enough for me. All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, Joanna, we should let you go and get back to actually making the world a better place instead of uh, wasting your time here. (laughs) 